Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! <laughs> It's fucking hot, hot, hot. Hello again, Screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 37, and tonight we're going to take a look at flesh-eating mothers and find out why it hasn't been released on DVD. You want to take a guess? And then we're going to celebrate the return of the Hammer House of Horror by taking a look at their new release, Wakewood. I've heard of Morningwood before, but never Wakewood. Ah! Don't groan yet, kids. The humor only gets worse from here. So, so hop on the sling, bust open the poppers, and get ready for a rockin' good time right after this. JAFMP.com presents the most interesting podcaster in the world. His balls are so big. The earth is in orbit around them. His voice is so golden. He added a 25th carat just to describe it. His opinions are so thoughtful, they take it upon themselves to send flowers on special occasions. He is the most interesting podcaster in the world. I don't always record podcasts, but when I do, you can find them at jafmp.com. Stay cool, my bitches. You know, it's kind of funny. You listen to that preview, that promo, rather, for uh, just another fucking movie podcast, and you think, wow, Steven sounds so macho. You know, talking about how big his balls are and how interesting he is. When really the most interesting thing about him is his dancing ability. Yeah, had you seen the video that his wife Lisa uploaded to the internet last week of him just dancing around and shaking his big fat booty? Lord have mercy, you would be rushing to listen to that podcast because that man is macho. Macho. Macho man. Lisa, send me the link. We need to share this with the world. Anyway, what's been going on here at Scream Queen headquarters? Um, well, the big thing is that Mr. Brad had some eye surgery. Nothing major, but he got the LASIK stuff done, so now he can see. Which is kind of alarming, because before that, he was legally blind. It's great because we're going to be saving a lot of money because his glasses would cost like $2,000 a pop. But now I have to be careful because once upon a time I could like gesture and make all kinds of obscene movements with my hands and stuff and just be like bleh, 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 with my face when he was talking. But now he can see me. So the sword is double-edged. And to be perfectly honest, I haven't adjusted to it yet because, you know, he never took his glasses off. I don't know him without his glasses. He sleeps with his glasses on. I'm not kidding because he needs to see when he wakes up. So a lot of times he's got his glasses on when he sleeps. Occasionally, I'll look across the room and be like, ah, Burger! Intruder! Who is that strange man? Oh, never mind. And it's funny. You know, he was so nervous about the whole thing. Understandably, because it's like your eyes and stuff. But man, they gave him some Xanax and Vicodin beforehand. And he's sitting in the waiting room. He's like, I'm so ready for this right now. I'm like, you're not nervous anymore? He's like, I don't even know what nervous means, Patrick. I'm like, you're high. He said, I know. It's gonna be a piece of cake. Brim. Name that movie. Nope, you're wrong. 
And it was neat because he went in to get it done. He's sitting in the chair and the doctor, there was a clock across from the chair where they were working, where he was getting the surgery. And the doctor said, so Bradford, can you tell me what time it is? And he's like, doctor, you know, that's not funny. I don't even know there's a clock over there. And then as soon as the surgery was done, this doctor said, can you tell me what time it is now? And Bradford says, it's a quarter to five. It was adorable. Uh, we participated in an event called the MP3 Experiment, and it was the it's an annual event. This was the eighth one. We're not going to talk about that this week because um, I know the people involved are going to put out a video, and I'm going to wait for them to do it because it's really kind of hard to explain otherwise. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to explain it with the with the uh, video or not, but it was awesome, and I can't wait to tell you about it. Maybe Mr. Brad will even join me. Oh. As I've mentioned on the show before, I've become a huge Warehouse 13 fan because, as I said before, it fills my buffy hole and not in a dirty way. Get your minds out of the gutter. Anyway, big news on the episode this week. The new guy, the hot new guy, Jinxie, that's the new agent, his character came out of the closet. The man is gay. I'm a happy person. Because he looks like he's almost a redhead. He's not quite a redhead. I don't know. It looks like he might have been a redhead sometime, but you know what? I don't care. He's hot and he's gay. So yay for that. And also in this particular episode, this one with um, people losing their memory, uh, one of these supporting actresses is Wendy Lyon. Flatline, flatline, flatline. I hear all of you like, who? Who? Wendy Lyon was the blonde girl who starred hundreds of years ago in Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, which I'm sorry, in my personal opinion, is the gayest horror movie ever made. I know people think Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is. I think this one is. This has gay sensibilities and an evil prom queen. What else do you need? All the more reason to be checking out Warehouse 13. You're not doing it yet? You're, I'm, I'm embarrassed to know you. Get busy. Get on that shit, yo. Uh, and I, I just want to say thank you to everybody for the huge outpouring that continues to come for my sister and uh, her whole battle with cancer. Uh, I barely don't even, I really don't want to even, I really don't even want to talk about it, but you guys deserve to know. At this point, um, it's Sunday night. She's getting her CAT scan tomorrow, and we're going to find out if the latest round of chemotherapy is working or not. So please, everybody, whatever prayers you got left, please fire them out because um, I don't know what the options are after this. Hey, good news, though. Headshot Heather, as some of you know, our listener Headshot Heather, occasional caller in her. She was in the hospital for five days, but she's home now. So that's great to hear, and hooray. We like people getting better and coming home from the hospital so they can listen to me. Because you shouldn't listen to me in the hospital. You'll giggle yourself right off your bedpan, girl. Aside from that, I can't really think of a whole hell of a lot that's been going on uh, the past couple of weeks. Um... Yeah, I got nothing. So, I did see a couple of movies, though, that I want to talk about. I finally saw Hobo with a Shotgun, because Christopher from the 42nd Street podcast, 42nd Street Drive-In podcast, I should say, mentioned it when he called in with his ticked-off, you knows, with Knives review a couple of weeks ago. And he compared it to that. He's like, oh, I want to see a revenge movie. That's when you go see it. But it was the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I watched it. And I liked it, and I didn't like it. I thought it looks amazing. The work with color is astounding. The camera work is wonderful. Rutger Hauer, oh my God, that scene where he's in the nursery and he's talking to the babies about their future and they're, the more he talks, the more they cry. That was incredible, incredible, powerful stuff. My problem with it was that most of the rest of the script seemed like it was written by a 17-year-old or Rob Zombie. Because he gets such witty dialogue as one of the villains says, Yeah, well, you can give Mother Teresa that check when you're finger-banging her in hell. Blah. 
Or a cop who says, yeah, you're so hot, I just want to chop off my own dick and rub it on your titties. Really, does that work? Does that work? Ladies, help me out. Does that work? Or someone else has described as, she's so pretty, I would eat the peanuts out of her shit. Do people talk like this? I don't think so. It, I get it, it was a whole cartoony world, but it was a little too cartoony. Contrasted with some realism. It, it had a I loved I loved and hated it. Like, there are parts where I'm like, this is the best movie ever. And then there were those parts where I'm like, ah, I just want to crawl into a rock. I'm embarrassed to have this home right now. What are the people at Netflix thinking of me? Because really, that's what's important. Um, I know a lot of you like it. A lot of it just seemed to be geared toward frat boys. And I've never been a frat boy. I don't even go for frat boys. So if you're a frat boy, lick it up, bitches. Because here's the thing. All right, let's get serious now. The exploitation stuff in this stuff, the violence against people is so extreme. It's so very, very extreme. And if you want to counter it with other revenge movies, let's say, I spit on your grave. Yeah, the, vi- the raping and that and the violence was very extreme. Like the stuff in the beginning to set you up for the stuff at the end. It was supposed to shock you. It was supposed to horrify you. You're supposed to identify with the woman or whatever, the situation or whatever, and make you feel horror. The violence in this was like, yeah, awesome. Yeah, let's kill some more bombs. Awesome. And then we're going to get revenge. Awesome. There was never that feeling of retribution because it was just more of the same. You know what? I'm not talking about it anymore. Hobo with a shotgun. You know, if you want to see it, go see it. You know, I don't care. I stand by my lick it up, bitches. Yeah. The other movie I want to talk about has a much gayer sensibility, so I therefore, naturally, I enjoyed it more. And that's a movie called The Perfect Host. And this stars David Hyde Pierce, you know, from Frasier and all that. And this movie is whacked. Now, the story is that there's this bank robber dude. He's on the run from the police, so he cons his way into David Hyde Pierce's house. You know, he gets, you know, who's got this rich, you know, mansion kind of house. He, uh, the bank robber rustles through his, um, mailbox, finds a postcard from some friend of his named Julia, who's in uh, Sydney, Australia right now, and he's like, oh, okay, so he rings the doorbell, he's like, hi, I'm a friend of Julia, I just left her in Australia, and David Hyde Pierce falls for it, and lets him in the house, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's terrible, you're waiting for the reign of terror from the bank robber to begin, but then you realize it's not the bank robber you have to worry about, it's David Hyde Pierce, this guy picked the wrong house, and what goes on in that house, I'm not gonna tell you, but... (laughs) This is just wonderful, like I said, gay sensibilities, things that I find funny. The bank robber has a knife up to uh, David Hyde Pierce's chin. He goes, you can't kill me. I'm having a dinner party. Because he is. He's got all these guests coming over at any minute for a dinner party. Now, I had seen the trailer. So I was really curious about how this was all going to boil down. I highly, uh, I'm going to put it on the website because it's a fun trailer. I think you guys will like it. And it, it, it gives away nothing. So I knew like the, t- the tables were going to turn on this bank robber, but I'm wondering how the whole dinner party's playing into this because you see the guests at the dinner party, you know, conga lining with the guy who's all tied up and beaten up. So I'm like, are they all crazy? Is everybody in this house crazy? What's going on? Well, I'm not telling you what's going on because my brain fell out halfway through the movie. The movie's not perfect. Drags on for too long. It ends weirdly. It ends well. Bradford was like, ooh, I enjoyed that a whole lot. So if you're crazy like Bradford, you should like it a whole lot as well. I should emphasize, though, that this is not a horror movie, not even by a stretch. It's a thriller. It's a character-based thriller. And even if the movie doesn't appeal to you in the end, like the whole plot of it, you know, you find it stupid or, you know, whatever, David Hyde Pierce's performance is phenomenal, just wallowing in every fun nuance of this character. And it's, it's so studied and so, so, 
I was going to say subtle. It's not subtle, but this just the details. The devil is in the details of his performance. Just little tiny ticks that show early and come back later. Oh, it's just good stuff. It's good stuff. Oh, you know who else is in it? Helen Reddy. Helen motherfucking Reddy. I haven't seen her on film since, what, Pete's fucking Dragon? And just let me say, she might still be a woman, but she ain't roaring much now. She's a little large and a little decrepit. I was like, re- I had to go back and rewind it. I was like, it's Helen Reddy? Yes. Anyway, The Perfect Host. I recommend it. Cautiously. It's out in limited release right now, and it is available on, um, what do you call it, pay-per-view on certain cable channels. Since I don't have a lot of chatter for you guys this week, why don't I just shut the fuck up and start the goddamn show? Oh, I can't. Hold on a second. Because I forgot, I have two pieces of correspondence that I want to unveil to you guys before the voicemail section of the show, before the listener feedback section, because they're unusual. Well, the first one is, well, why don't I just play it? Hi, Patrick. It's Joe and Cincy. Hi, Joe. Why are you whispering? I think we should play a little game. (gasps) If you guess, I'm going to sing a song for you. And if you can okay. guess why I'm singing the song, you'll be okay. But if you don't, oh. then you're going to have a pussy explode in your face. Ah! Okay. Here's the song. And again, you have to know or guess why I'm singing the song. I'm scared. Hands across America. Hands across Hands this across land I love. Divided we fall, united we stand, hands across America. Is this really what it's come to? You know, I just put out this little show once a week for entertainment purposes, and now I'm getting threats? Threats of such dire, dire nature? Oh my god, Joe, haven't I suffered enough? Isn't it bad enough you made me remember the Hands Across America song? Isn't it enough? Oh god, I really don't know, Joe. I'm having the foggiest idea. It's not the anniversary. It was in 1986. Hold on, thinking, thinking, thinking. Okay, so it's not the anniversary. It was 1986. Um, okay, just Google the... No, 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 it was the May, 20, May 26th is the anniversary. So, even though this call's two weeks old, it still wouldn't be the anniversary. Oh, uh, what the hell did I talk about two weeks ago? Ah, uh, that was a hot body hoot nanny. We talked about uh, dead boys don't scream, which no, and picked off trannies with knives. Did they mention that? And picked off trannies with knives? Is that why? Is that why, Joe? Because I don't know. Well, that's it. I guess I'm having a vagina explode in my face. And this is great, because now I don't know when it's going to happen. So they're going to be looking around every corner, checking under the bed at night, living in fear until your curse comes true. Thanks a lot, Joe. God damn it, this song's in my head now. Michelle Pfeiffer was in that video, you know. Random, random, that's not going to save me. Okay, Joe, you win. Well played, sir. I'll get a wet nap ready for my face. No, wasn't that charming? Where do you possibly go from there? Well, I'll tell you where you go from there. I got an email this week. 
I got an email from a listener named Eric. And Eric wrote to me. He said, Hi, love the podcast. I came across this song in my iTunes called Scream Queen. It's from that lesbian pop group, Femme to Femme, who lasted about 10 to minute. You know what? It's really it's awful for me to be putting this voice on you, Eric. You're probably a lovely person. Anyway, he says, It's from that lesbian pop group, Femme to Femme, who lasted about 10 minutes in the 90s. I'd forgotten all about it until it popped up on my iPod last week on the subway. The song reeks of pure cheese. It really does. At, but I thought I'd send it to you in case you ever thought about changing your theme song. Eric, well, I don't know about changing my theme song, but I'm going to be playing this motherfucker right now. Because you know what? You, Eric, are the Scream Queen of the Week. Yeah. Yeah. No goddamn T.R. I said, yeah. Yeah. But you know what you get to do? You got to solo dance during this number. You got to shake your ass the whole time this motherfucker's playing. We're all watching. on DVD! Oh. Okay, so this segment, as you can probably tell, is dedicated to films that, for some reason or another, are not available in the DVD format yet. Normally, I talk about something that's a, a favorite of mine, some VHS that I've had forever, or some old family favorite that has a story attached to it, and ponder, why is the fuck is this not on DVD? Hopefully getting some campaigns together that we can storm the production companies. And get something out there like we all did for Night of the Comet and, and the Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps. So the film we're talking about this week is Flesh-Eating Mothers from 1986. This is not one of my favorites. I actually did this as a favor for a listener. Uh, Joe from Cincy. We all know Joe from Cincy. And we love Joe from Cincy. Although I love him just maybe a little bit less after this one. Not because it was a bad movie. Because it was a bad movie. I knew it was a bad movie going into this. But because... 
when I did a little Googling no less than five minutes ago after spending all this time putting together a segment for the show, it's already available on DVD, Joe. You can go get it on Amazon for $5. And I'd say it's worth at least 5% of that. Maybe. So flesh-eating mothers is about some small suburban town where all of a sudden some of the moms, well, they're eating flesh. Duh, you get that. Well, what it turns out is happening is there's a male slut in town. There's a male slut in town and he's feeling good. Why am I always singing the theme from Alice on this show? I don't know. Let's continue. He's married, but he's cheating on his wife like crazy and he'll screw anything I was going to say with legs, but I don't even think that's a requirement anymore. I think it just, you know, the, you know what's required. Don't ask me to draw you a picture because I will not draw you a picture because I will have nightmares, okay? Well, it turns out this guy is carrying some new strain of venereal disease. I'm sorry, an STD as they keep referring to it in the film. And this particular new disease lies dormant in males. And it only becomes active in females after they've had children. So when people start getting sick and going crazy, it's only the people that he slept with that have had babies. So as a result, you get moms eating their babies. You know, okay, you don't have to be a genius to figure this out. This is not good. It's got a trauma feel to it. It's got the trauma cheapness and the trauma half-assness to it. Um, I, 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 I didn't like it. I was looking for camp. I was looking to laugh at it in a good way, but I was just bored. Just really bored. The only, I had seen it when I was in high school. And I remember being bored by it then. The only thing that woke me up at the, was at the very end was when this slut character gets his nose ripped off by his now re-zombified wife. Even though they're not zombies. Forget it. We're just going to call them zombies. You know, wherever the fuck. <sighs> I'm not going to get technical with this goddamn movie. But I thought, hey, I'll go back and check this out again. Maybe as I've matured as an adult, I'll find some new elements to it that I'll find entertaining. Not really. Not really. The most amusing thing about most of this is the fashions, because, you know, it's suburban 80s, so it's not, it's, it clearly everybody just showed up wearing, you know, whatever they had in their wardrobe. And so you get, like, these zombie moms running around. This one in particular, she's got Sigourney Weaver's hair and alien, that kind of, like, mussy fro thing going on, and she's wearing those classic blue mama pants. You know, they come all the way up to the belly button, and it's got the really wide points at the hips. You know, those mom pants. Everybody's mom had a pair of those pants. Some of you still have pairs of those pants. That I found amusing. One of the teenage characters, she's got a really huge head. It's not her fault that she's got a huge head. That's not what's... It's not even funny. It's just that for some reason, they had... They always have her hair pulled all the way back off of her forehead, like skinned back. And she's got a gigantic forehead anyway. I'm like, bangs, baby! Bangs! Even Mr. Brad didn't get any delight out of this one. He sat there, he came in halfway through, and he sat there going, wow, this is just awful. But the thing is, the movie seems to be trying every now and then to be campy, but it doesn't do it often enough, and when it does, it's kind of like, meh, meh. Some things I found entertaining, the most of them involving the STD clinic, because there's the doctor at the clinic, and he's talking all about, you know, STDs or whatever, but he's got, you know, helpful STD Posters, you know, community action posters behind him. You know, like, careful, you might have an STD. These are some symptoms. This is what you do. Except they're all hand-drawn in Magic Marker. They're not from the Board of Health or anything like that. You know, they didn't bother to go down to a local school and pick up some things. Nothing. They just hand-drew these STD posters. And when they're finally examining the virus under a microscope, they have animation for it. And it's like cartoon animation. Like, the virus has eyes and teeth and it's chomping at the other viruses. Uh, bacteria and stuff, and it should be it should be funny, and it's just not. It's like, eh, eh. 
Although, to be perfectly honest, some of the special effects aren't bad. You know, for an extremely low-budget movie, you know, in the 80s, of course, everything is practical, and some of it is not bad. Some of the makeup is pretty good sometimes. You know, in some shots, some of the moms look great, and then in another shot, the same actress, I don't know, it looks like somebody else did the makeup, or it was, I don't know, it was... 12 hours into the shoot, it was melting or something. But sometimes things look great. Sometimes they didn't. Lots of arms get ripped off. These moms that should have been called arm-ripping moms more than flesh-eating moms. But that's just my opinion. So it looked like somebody got together, wrote a movie, cast everybody they knew in it. To be fair, everybody looks like they're having a really fun time in it. And like they're telling people now, hey, I was in a movie. I ate my baby in it. And that, that's great for you. But I don't have much to say about it. So, um... I've got a couple people who do have something to say about it. First of all, we're going to take a call from Chris from the 42nd Street Drive-In Podcast. Now, you may remember, those of you who were listening last week, that this movie was supposed to be talked about on episode 36. But Chris wrote me and said, Oh, I can't believe you made me watch this shitty movie. I'm sending in an audio review. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And I waited, and it never came, and I said, I got a deadline, bitch, so I put out episode 36, and now he's crying. He sent me some note crying about, like, oh, well, you know, man, man, you said that, you know, man, man. I'm just, I don't know what he's bitching about, but, you know, accept your responsibility. You fucked up the flow of the show, Christopher. Now, now we've just prolonged the agony another week and another seven minutes of me rattling on about it. Well, we could have all had this out of our systems by now, but no, it's 100 degrees, and I'm talking about this shitty fucking movie, and it's your fault. I know Joe from Sins, it was your idea, but it's Chris's fault. It's always Chris's fault. So, let's hear what he has to say, shall we? All right, if we must. Hey, Scrapers, it's Chris from the 42nd Street Drive, calling you with my review of The Flesh-Eating Mothers, a film so Hi, bad Chris. that Patrick didn't even want to watch it. Hey, By the way, he never sent me that book I supposedly wanted either. Just, Don't you know, look at me, talk to Robert weasel. Fest. Anyway, if you want to painfully slowly kill yourself without the help of alcohol, or better yet, drive away Zombart is your only regular listener by suggesting this as a viewing homework assignment like this thing has done. No, 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 the Flesh-Eating no. Mothers is the way to go. More time and effort went into making this gigantic children's crayon drawing that the credits play over than anything involved with this plot to this nonsense. The entire movie seems like a tech of the Killer Tomatoes without the Killer Tomatoes. Nobody can act worth a damn and every scene feels like it's been dragged out for some joke that never happens. I can understand casting your family and friends when you don't have an actual budget to hire real actors, but seriously, you might want to consider moving in with a new family and a new neighborhood when everybody is this bad. Where do I even begin with this shit? Stop talking over me, Patrick. There are grown folks in the room talking now. This monstrosity starts off with some guy in the woods getting his arm torn off and he shoots a woman. This is our backstory. And for anyone not paying attention, you have missed nothing. We cut to the aforementioned Crayola film credits before a guy who looks like a lead singer from the Romantics is in bed with one of the Jersey Shore kids' mothers. He tells her he can only get away for their little riding boost by telling his wife that he's out jogging. Personally, I'd rather jog in the opposite direction. Across the street, some fat kid named Ronaldi is watching this from his bedroom window. His mom yells at him to make sure he's having no fun because he's suspended from school. She could have just made him watch this mess of a movie since I'm not having any fun either. Somewhere else, a cop shows up to his ex-wife's place to make a child support payment. She's sitting in the shadows of the house drinking like I wish I was right now while watching this scene because no amount of editing or acting classes could ever fix it. And I'm realizing why Patrick assigns crap like this is homework. He doesn't want to watch it himself. In all honesty, who could blame him? This is the fucking worst. We cut to another scene of a par- character development at the local high school and meet even worse actors. I cut them some slack because they're only teens and know they will someday end up on the Jersey Shore. One girl arrives home to meet her dad, the singer guy from the Romantics. 
who's about to go out jogging. Don't know what that means. His wife with gigantic 80s poodle hair asks, You're not going jogging again, are you? And we know he is because he needs to get laid again since he's the singer from the Romantics. The group is our way of life to him. <laughs> Meanwhile, the cop shows up at a morgue to tell his buddy, the town's medical examiner, that his ex-wife is a hyena. The problem is, we now know no matter how bad she is as a person, he drags his bad acting to every scene as displayed here. The one armed commissioner shows up to be a prick for a moment and we get backstory that he lost his arm in some hunting accident where he shot his wife. In case you're lucky enough to blink in the opening two minutes of this movie, this is what you missed. Nobody cares because the Jersey Shore mom is playing cards with a bunch of other old, unattractive women who brag about how they all banged the lead singer from the Romantics. She almost seems jealous, which is about the most powerful scene of acting you're going to get in this movie. Anywho, Mr. Romantic's teen daughter and her friend with the enormous forehead flirt with Frankie, the local ice cream man who has a thing for Mr. Romantic's poodle-haired wife. The enormous forehead girl asks if he's still going with her to the Women's Coalition dinner that night. An awkward edit then has Frankie walking up to the house where he's going to meet my favorite character of the movie, the angry vodka bottle-toting stepfather who just pushes people out of his way when they try to speak to him. Apparently, he's been beating this Frankie guy's mom. I hope she's a producer of this awful movie since it would be well-deserved. Back at the cop's ex-wife's place, she has every food item available there laid out on the kitchen table and is chowing it all down like my ex-wife on our first date. The cop's kid comes home and asks what's for dinner. Now, this next scene is Mr. Romantic in bed with his poodle-haired wife, and I had to share it with everyone. What is it? I don't satisfy you anymore? Of course you satisfy me. It's just that, would you ever consider having an open marriage? Oh my god. I realize it's kind of sudden, but, you know, well, statistically speaking, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Oh my god. I'm so hungry. For what? Have you heard what I said? I'm starved. Um, considering he's literally banging everyone with a vagina in this movie already, it's pretty safe to say he's already answered that open marriage question for himself. Anywho, she only talks about how hungry she is, ignores his request, and their baby starts crying. If you don't know where this is going, back at the cop's ex-wife's house, the cop shows up to find her eating their son, so he shoots her. Get it? Flesh-eating mothers? It's a literal title for a literally bad movie. Mr. Romantic stops in for his weekly checkup to make sure he hasn't gotten any STDs from banging the entire town. And his swinger doctor gives him a lead on a hooker that offends Mr. Romantic. Go figure. He storms out and the hot, nerdy nurse tells the swinger doctor that Mr. Romantic has something unusual in his blood test. Obviously, he's infecting the town women with whatever it is that makes them eat their children as we find out when he stops by Frankie's mom's house after her daily meeting to bang her even though she's about 70 years old. A small epidemic of flesh-eating mothers starts to break out and their teens take turns sharing their badly acted sob stories about how nobody would ever believe them over their cannibal moms. One of commissioner visits the medical examiner and steals the files on the cop's ex-wife's autopsy report and he could kind of piece together that his wife was originally a flesh eater when he shot her and disposed of the prior medical examiner for this discovery. It's time for the women's coalition dinner where all the women start eating their kids and the only thing scary than the bad gore effects is the acting. The hot nerdy nurse and the medical examiner discover that the virus from the ex-wife's blood is inactive in males but has a violent tendency in women who have had children and it is sexually transmitted. Duh. Now I get the feeling this... I'm so sorry, Christopher. It appears that you're out of time. Listen, mister, did you really think that you could Shanghai my show and get around the rules of the five-minute limit by sending in an MP3 that babbles on for another three and a half minutes after the cutoff point? No, you're not. Because this was a homework assignment. An overdue homework assignment. I really would have expected more from you. Something with a little depth, with a little insight, with a, with, with a bit of analysis even. Not just some regurgitated Cliff Notes version of the movie with some snide and, dare I say, childish remarks thrown in. 
I also would highly recommend laying off the Red Bull and taking some diction classes because some of our listeners are from Louisiana. They can't listen that fast. So, Christopher, you get an F. F. A big, fat, juicy F. Don't come shuffling over to my podcast trying to pawn off your usual high-speed summary crap that you already pimp out on your own goddamn show. I want something unique. Unique. And that was simply you suck. Now keep in mind that this homework assignment was a gift for a listener, not a personal attack on you, and nobody told you you had to do it. You volunteered this. And held up the process by not providing what we needed on time. And then to be so hostile about it. And don't yell at me for you not getting your book. Yell at Robert R. Best. I gave him your address. Robert R. Best! You are making me look bad. Shame. You also get an F. Put that on smash words, bitch. Oh, and Robert, darling, since you're mailing him a book anyway, I suggest you also mail Christopher a copy of... How to Get Your Point Across in 30 Seconds or Less by Milo O. Frank. Available from Simon & Schuster Publishing for about $4.95 on Amazon. I think you could really use it. God, I'm a cunt! Let's hear what Joe had to say about this movie. Hey, Patrick. It's Joe and Cincy. Hi, Joe. I guess you've heard my uh, my previous message and hopefully got the question right because, you know, we don't like splitting pussies. No, we don't. No, I don't. I'm it up in two different calls because I don't want to get cut off at the five-minute mark. So, um, I'm calling again to give you my review of the movie, Blessing Mothers. Uh-huh, I'm all I haven't here. seen the movie in a while. Um, I just finished watching it again today. Uh-huh. And one thing I think about the movie, it just brings about back a lot of, like, 80s stuff. I think there's totally, like, 80, totally an 80s movie, so much 80s stuff in there. Well, One of yeah. them being so random that, you know, in the story, the guy fucking the neighborhood moms, and he's mm-hmm. giving them a venereal disease. But he's wearing a Hands Across America t-shirt. Uh, How random is that? Uh, like, God you know, damn it. You know, it's this guy, you know, without a conscience. I or, you that know, you motherfucker. You know, son of a bitch. Going around the neighborhood and spreading venereal disease. But yet he has a social conscience, uh, conscience yeah, about, social you know, conscience. random. It didn't really fit the, the movie, but I, but I I like the reference anyway. The movie. Fuck you. I, I enjoyed the movie. I mean, it's not terribly scary, you know, a lot of camp no. in it. I don't know, it just brought how it has kind of a, a special place in my heart because it kind of brought my sister and my mother together. Uh, we we used to watch the movie. That's and, weird. You know, made us laugh. You're weird. One of the weird things about the movie, you know, in the beginning, arm bitten off, and it's just like he's walking around, he falls down, <laughs> then he looks at it, and then he starts to scream as if, oh my oh God, my. I realize Look my arm that. off. Oh, that's peculiar. Whatever. Graphics, animation, the movie aren't the best. Um, Some lines are kind of really kind of weird. One of my favorite lines in the movie is this girl talking to this guy. You know, he's cute and she's, you know, kind of little harpings of, you know, falling in love and stuff. And she says, and her mother is just, you know, eating her baby brother. And she goes to to this guy, Jeff. And Jeff, I saw my mother, they're both laughing. And it's like, that's kind of preposterous. They were smoking reefer. Okay. It could have had better buns in this movie. The devil's weed. But it was camp. It was kind of you know, cheesy buns. Someone else said uh, in the movie also, everybody's mothers eat after our meat. <laughs> nice. Gross. And another kind of like, I thought kind of like weird, uh, kind of like play on words of reference 
possibly gay, the nurse at the venereal disease clinic, her name is Felicia Codd. I'm thinking, is that a plan words? Felicia Cock. I'm thinking, I don't know. God, really, Joe? Again, I'm, you know, I'm happy you brought this up. That makes one of us. Again, it brought memories. So I'm glad you're talking about it again, and hopefully other people enjoyed the movie as I did. So I hope other people are calling in and giving, giving their thoughts about the movie. Thanks, Patrick. Bye. Bye, Joe. You know, it's not bad enough that I'm going to have a vagina explode in my face. But the fact that it's over this piece of shit movie, ooh, that really rubs salt in it. So now I have salty vagina in my face. Yarg. Now it's a pirate vagina. I don't know what's happening. Well, I don't know what to say, Joe. I mean, I'm glad that it brings your family together in some weird way. I don't get it, but, you know, that's nostalgia for you. That is the power of nostalgia. I saw it back in the day, and it uh, did nothing for me then except for the guy getting his nose ripped off. That was the one part I woke up, and it's the very last frame of the movie. I was like, what? But, of course, you have to sit there the other hour and a half to get there. I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. Like, the camp doesn't... I don't know if the camp's intentional, or if it is, it doesn't go far enough. Well, uh, you mentioned um, Felicia Cox. I think you're giving the screenwriters way too much credit. Although, that whole relationship between that nurse and the, and whoever the other guy was, the, the, the guy who was like three feet tall, who was solving everything, I guess he, was, he wasn't a doctor, I don't know what the hell he was, the public health official, I guess. That was something funny happening. Like, it was almost something funny happening that was completely out of sync with the rest of the movie. Had the rest of the movie been more like that? Or closer to that? I think I would have enjoyed it more. But, um... And for social conscious, the guy wearing the Hands Across America t-shirt, again, I think you're wearing way too much into this. Uh, he was probably wearing it because that's what he showed up in on set that day. Or, actually, you know what? No. I could see this guy going to Hands Across America. You know why? Because Hands Across America will be a great place to bang all these hippie socially conscious moms. Who probably are there without their husbands because their husband thought it was a gay idea. So it was really like poontang across America. Okay, I just got the image of a giant vagina spreading from coast to coast, and I'm not happy. I'm not happy with any of this, Joe. So I think I have answered the question, why the fuck isn't this on DVD? Because it's not very good. For the majority of us. For those of us who have real relationships with our sisters and mothers, then okay, great, have at it. Put out one copy on DVD for those guys. See, this is why, see, this is what happens when I do something nice for somebody. You know, I go and review a movie that they suggest, and it's, it, it not only is it a bad movie, and I'm having a vagina explode in my face, but now I'm having, I don't even know what to say about it anymore, so I'm just gonna stop talking now. What kind of song do you play for this? I have no idea. God damn it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the love theme from Flesh Eating Mothers. Seriously.
So, for the main feature tonight, we're going to be talking about the new release from Hammer Studios. And this is a rustic little chiller called Wakewood. And it's the story of this young couple who, after the tragic death of their only daughter, move to the beautiful, charming, secluded, dare I say, quaint town of Wakewood, deep in the hills of Ireland. Oh man, you know this can't be good. Let's listen to the trailer. People shouldn't hurt animals, should they? No, they shouldn't. Animals shouldn't hurt people either. Well, that's kind of different. Her breath will breathe and she'll remember the time she had with you. But it's not so simple, is it? The ritual of the return binds you to Wakewood. Oh, my baby. Oh, my baby. Is this for real? Alice, are you a normal little girl? Why don't you look at me? She's not right. We must put Alice back in the ground where she belongs. Do it now. She's fine. She's our little girl. You have to obey the rules, Patrick. There's something amiss. Don't look at her. Look away. Look away! Look away! And lie among the roots. Back to the trees and lie among the roots! You were going to leave me. I was scared. Are you still scared? <laughs> Dad, am I dead? We just want to see her again. Then you shall. You know what? It takes a lot of balls to put out a movie where an adorable young girl who we've barely met is torn apart by a vicious dog, and the opening credits haven't even finished rolling yet. This sets the tone for what's going on. Yes, so Hammer is back, and I think they're doing a great job here. So, Wakewood is the third uh, film that they've released since they've come back from the dead, if you'd like to say. Yeah, they've been gone since the 80s, but since then, um, in the past year, they've, they did the remake of Let the Right One In, which I still haven't seen yet, and they did something with Hilary Swank called The Resident, which is apparently a piece of crap, and this... This is not a piece of crap. This is not going to be for everybody's taste, but it is not a piece of crap. Okay, so like I said, the movie starts, we see the happy couple, Patrick and Louise, showering their daughter, Alice, with presents. She's about five, maybe six, and you know, it's her birthday. So she's like, oh, she gets a hamster. Oh, she gets a bicycle. Oh, she gets ripped apart by a fucking dog. Yeah, so like I said, he's a vet, and I guess... She you know, it's not really clear what happens, and you're just seeing things in snips and snaps. But he's a veterinarian. She's coming home, I guess, from school. She walks into the front yard, and there's a dog that apparently is a patient of her father's. And she's not frightened of it. She's like, oh, hello, doggy. Did daddy fix you? And the dog is like, no! And munches on this totally adorable child who we can't even hate yet. And like I said, credits! Not over yet. So I got confused a little bit here. During, the, during this whole sequence, you keep getting flash cuts of the parents driving, like frantically driving somewhere. And 
I wasn't really sure what was going on. It turns out, you know, they blended the two things together, the death of the child and them moving to Wakewood. I didn't realize they moved out of this original, uh, wherever the hell they were. They never said where they were. Let's say the city. They were in the city and then they go out to the woods. The second they showed the mother, I almost peed myself because for a split second, I thought it was Amy Steele. And I was like, oh my God, Amy Steele. And then I started bouncing around on the sofa and then it wasn't her. And I was very sad. No, it's actually an actress named Eva Berthistle. And she's a British actress. And uh, some people you may know her from the British series Waking the Dead. But for you genre fans, she was also in that British movie The Children a few years back. Yeah, you know where the children were getting some weird virus and killing the parents. And, um, well, she didn't stray too far from the path on this one either. <laughs> but anyway, she's not Amy Steele. It's not her fault she's not Amy Steele. But, you know. She could have tried harder to be Amy Steele. But anyway, they're moving to this town of Wakewood to take over the veterinarianship. I don't know what else you'd call it. From the older doctor, who is played by Timothy Spall. And if you don't know who Timothy Spall is, well, I'm going to tell you. He's this big, portly gentleman, but I bet a lot of you will know him from... Uh, he was Wormtail in all the Harry Potter movies. And he was the Beatle in Sweeney Todd. So he's got some cool creds. And he's a great character actor, and he's wonderful in this. But I'm way ahead of myself. Time has passed. Louise cannot move past this death. You know, she's the, the marriage is crumbling as a result. She can't open up to her husband. She doesn't want him to touch her. Nothing. And after a while, you know, the more time she spends in Wakewood, she runs the pharmacy there, the more she starts to realize that things are a little odd. There's certain rituals that seem to go on that just involve the locals that nobody talks about and no one will talk to her about and, you know, all that creepy kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm going to cut to the chase because this is all in the... In the um, the movie description, there's something about Wakewood, something about the grounds of Wakewood. It, it's hard to say that without sounding like you're Barbara Walters Wakewood. Hello, I'm Barbara Walters, and I'm talking to you from Wakewood. But it's a mystical place. There's something in the ground there. There's something in the trees. There's just ancient magic in the soil there. And it's always been this way. This is the way it is. And the thing is, people who die in Wakewood don't have to stay dead. Because if you perform the right ritual and they meet the right criterion, that your loved one can come back to you just for three days, but they'll be exactly as they were, and you can say a, a proper goodbye and you know tell them how much you love them, and you know so they can they can move on. They have closure. You have closure. Life goes on. This is the way it's always been here. Now one night their car breaks down, Patrick and Louise, and I keep wanting to call them Thelma, but it's not Thelma. It's Patrick and Louise, and they. You know, oh gosh, and they walk through the woods to get to this other older doctor's house, and oops, they stumble in on the birthing ceremony. Yeah, there's a birthing ceremony for somebody coming back. And once they find out, Louise is obsessed. She wants to get Alice back for that three days, and she's going to do anything to get it. And, well, they get it. Alice comes back, but, you know, the magic doesn't come free. You know, there are rules to follow. And there's a whole list of them, and it kind of reminded me of Gremlins. You know, you can't take her out of the boundaries of the, uh, the, the town, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. You can't feed her after midnight, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she doesn't come back right. And that's all I'm saying about that. This is one creepy-ass movie, and a beautifully shot movie as well. What, something that struck me, at one point, they just showed the gray sky of Ireland, and this landscape, the green landscape, and this big creepy house with the moon coming out over the house. And I said, oh... This is what it actually looks like in a place where it always rains. Unlike when you see Seattle in American movies and it's always blue. No, this is actually gray, but I digress. 
But this beautiful cinematography, the acting is excellent. Uh, the guy who plays the father, um, Aidan Gillen, he mostly did a lot of BBC stuff, but let me tell you this, he was in the British Queerest Folk. And can I just say Hatsi Tatsi? Let's pretend I never said Hatsi Tatsi. Now this is what, this is a slow burn. The thing that's neat about this movie, you can find echoes of so many other movies in there. Uh, like I mentioned Gremlins, and I thought that as a joke, but it's a mixture of The Monkey's Paw, Pet Cemetery. Don't Look Now from the 70s with Donald Sutherland, and even The Wicker Man. There's little echoes of all of that in this story. However, it never feels like it's copying them. It just feels, it makes, feels fresh. It's like nodding, yes, you know, taking the essence of these other movies and mixing it into something somewhat new. It's a slow burn. You know, a good portion of the movie is just this couple suffering, particularly the, the mother suffering and suffering and suffering and grating. Like, I didn't like her. I'm like, she's just shutting down. And the, the husband is great. He's doing everything that he possibly can. She's like, nah, 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 nah. I want Alice. I want my Alice. My poor little Alice. And I'm just like, you know, Alice was a little bit ugly. You know, she was cute. But you know, that's just me, Patrick. I'm going to take that out. But something that I liked about the movie, uh, that I really appreciate about the movie, is the magic of this town is just the way it is. It's the way it always is. It's always been. There's no needful explanation. I'm sure nobody in the village could explain exactly what's going on because it's always gone on. If you ask them questions, you'd be like, well, that's the way it's done. If this was an American movie, there'd be so much backstory explaining every little goddamn detail. And some of the stuff I really enjoy, like they're, when they're finding out if Alice is going to be able to revive because they have to be somewhat fresh. They have to be in the ground less than a year and there are certain other requirements. And... The other vet, the older vet, rather, who seems to be the, the, the Lord Summerisle of this movie, the Christopher Lee of this movie, he's got this gadget. It looks like this oldie-timey abacus-type thing with these beads on it. And he's just asking these really seemingly random questions to calculate if she's going to be eligible. He's like, uh, was her hair dark or fair? Click, 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 click. Was her temperature warm or cold? Click, 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 click. What was her favorite color? Click, 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 click. And eventually it comes up with the, uh, the answer that, yes, yeah, she's eligible, but... I see people on, on, on IMDb to be like, this is stupid. What do they have to do with anything? This is like adding it up in an abacus. I'm like, I like that, that it's totally random questions, but for some reason, this is what you need to know. Why? I don't know. It's because it's the way it's done. What I'm going to say next is going to sound weird. This is something I've rarely said about a movie ever. It needed to be longer. It's like I said, it's moving at this, this relaxed pace for a long time, like really letting it sink in the emotions and stew in the mysticism of this town and the weirdness and yet the familial weirdness of it, like, it's it's a comfortable weirdness. It's a friendly weirdness. It's not necessarily ominous. And then when this girl comes back, you know, the slow realization that maybe she didn't come back right is nice and paced. But then when it's the final showdown, it's over in a heartbeat. And it seems really rushed. All of a sudden, there's gore and there's violence and there's everything else going on. And it just feels rushed. I said, you could put, you could, whoa, 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 whoa. And then the credits were rolling. I'm like, oh, it's over. But I'm all for leaving me wanting more. But I wanted a little more, more to be considered more. You know, guys, I'm, I can hear it in my voice how unfocused I am trying to give you this review. But, um, and maybe you're having a hard time following me, and maybe I'm not making any sense at all, but I need to be doing this right now. With everything that's going on in, in life here at this end, and, and you know, life and death situations and high stress and at every corner, I just need to be sitting here with you right now. And um, thank you for just listening to me babble, because in the end, this is a good movie. Uh, not everyone is going to like it.
It's going to be a little slow. It's going to be a little silly. And I can see how people are like, oh, this is just Pet Cemetery set in Ireland. Yeah, sure, if you want to be cynical about it. Sure, yeah, it is Pet Cemetery in Ireland, but it takes a whole different path to get there. It's a whole different route through the Pet Cemetery. Enjoy the route. Stop being so fucking cynical. Enjoy a goddamn movie for a change. But it's out on DVD this week. It's available on Netflix, so um, go check it out. Let me know what you think. Okay, guys? I'm sorry to bring you down. So let's play some absurd music to get us into the voicemails. And it's Oh, Mom and Rock, make Jolly Jolly Rock. Nurse Katie and I would like to um, say thank you for your yours and Bradford's um, condolences. It means a lot. Um, I know it was just a cat, but he was part of our family, and oh, it was one oh, of the most painful no, things no. we've been no through. Such thing as just a so cat. thank you. I wanted to let you know that the last episode, I believe thirty-six, wonderful. Yes. It's glad to hear you're you're healthy again, and it was good no to hear shit. Mr. Brad on there. And as for the homework assignment from the Pride episode, and speaking of Pride, congratulations, New York. It's about fucking no, time. Yay, um, yay, yay. Gay marriage. Woohoo! Um, homework assignment from that, I would like to see Night of the Comet remade, which, Ooh. with better acting and with the effects we can do now, it could just be so badass. Well, thanks mm-hmm. for everything. Keep up the great work you're doing on your show. Everybody I turn on to it loves it, and you're doing a great job. It's hard to believe you're already at 36 episodes. Bye. Bye. Hogan, thank you so much for... Ah, feedback. Ah, God. Whew, okay, let's try that again. Ah, doing it again. Okay, let's try this one more time without the effeminate screaming, because I'm sure all of you listening on headphones right now love me. And know how I feel a couple of weeks ago when my eardrum exploded. Welcome to my world. Hogan, thank you for calling in. It's so nice to hear your voice again. And listen, there is no such thing as just a cat. Or just a dog. Or just a parakeet. Or just a whatever. It's a member of your family. You're a member of my family. So, we all deserve some love is what I'm trying to say. Anywho, Night of the Comet remade gives me oogies. Night of the Comet is a touchstone film for me. It defined my teenage years in a way. See, but... You know, my whole life philosophy either came from the Brady Bunch, the Bad Seed, Nine of the Comet, and of course, two poles, one hole. But that's not the point right now. 
I love Night of the Comet. I love it the way it is. It would hurt me to see it remade just because it'd be so slick and so glitzy. And yeah, it would look awesome. But the thing I like about it is that it doesn't look awesome. It looked awesome at the time. I love the 80s. I love the acting. It all just plays right into the whole camp factor where it's supposed to be. If it gets remade, it won't be camp. It'll be for serious. And I'm sorry, I'm gay. We like camp. Well, not, not necessarily the kinds in the woods, but, you know, you know that, shut up, you know what I mean. And by the way, Hogan, thank you for congratulating me on 36 episodes. But you know what? It ain't 36 episodes anymore. It's going to be a year soon. That's right. It'll be a whole year of this bullshit, me yabbering away for an hour, two hours at a time, on July 29th of 2011. Plan accordingly. I'm registered at Bed Bath & Beyond. And the cock rings are us. Give us a break, Hector. Thanks for calling. Oh, God, I see you called again. So, um, let's see what you got to see this time. Hi, Patrick. It's Hogan again. I know. The reason I would like to see the um, Night of the Comet remake, oh, you're gonna or why I would like to remake Night of the Comet, was because when I was a kid, it was constantly on HBO. Yes, it was. Always. And I thought it was the bee's knees. I, would, I was scared. I liked it. I thought it was fun. And then I went back and watched it about two months ago, and it wasn't, wasn't that great. Oh, but the whole idea of it is real creepy. I used to have dreams when I was a kid that I'd wake up and walk out the house and everything was covered in the red dust, and I would see shuffling bodies off in the distance, but I could never reach them, and I was always had this constant fear during these dreams. Pretty crazy. Hmm. So I'd like to bring that feeling back with a new, new version of that film. And I also wanted to suggest, um, I ha I've been kind of slacking on my movie watching this summer, Okay. But I'd like to suggest a few films that I, um, Ooh. older and newer. Um, scribble pen. Brazil's out on Blu-ray now. Mm. Terry Gilliam. Awesome movie. People should go buy it. Um, Rec 2, I believe, is available in the U.S. now on Blu-ray. And that movie's great. If you've seen the first Rec, you'll love this one. And, um, a Korean film called I Saw the Devil. It's a serial killer cop. Serial killer versus cop movie. Kind of mm -hmm. action-packed and scary at the same time, and it's shot beautifully. Um, oh. Any fans of the Scream Queens, if you can sit down and watch that, it, you'll love it. Okay, thanks, bud. Have a good week or day or whatever. Bye. Thank you. You know, I think I'll have a good all of those things. Thank you, Hogan. So you're just going to beat this Night of the Comet thing into the ground, aren't you? You're just not going to listen to me and say that the movie does not need to be remade, because I said so. That's an interesting dream, though. You're waking up and everything's covered in red dust like that. Maybe you should hire a housekeeper. Maybe that's what you're afraid of. Maybe you need a big giant Swiffer to clean up in that dream. And you see shuffling bodies off in the distance, and you can't reach them. So where I'd be like, good, fine. Not, not, to, not to make fun of your psyche or anything. Because I would never, ever stoop to that such a thing. And you know what, sweetie? I say this to a lot of people. A lot of times, there are certain movies that you just need to watch with a queen. Because then it's funny again. Showgirls being one of them, but the list is massive. As you can tell, from, a lot of people are running from watching the show, uh, from listening to this show, that, you know, I'll point out things in a movie that when you go back and watch, you'll be like, I never noticed that before. I have a whole new appreciation for this movie. That's hilarious. That's why you need to find more gay friends to watch movies with. Everybody should have at least one pocket movie queen. Maybe I'll get on that. Maybe I'll start some kind of internet service. That just sounds gross and kinky, and I'm going to forget I ever said that. Forget I ever said that. For your movie recommendations, you know I've never seen Brazil. I know I should. It's just... Uh, uh.
Terry Gilliam's always hit and miss with me, but I know that's supposed to be a great one. But the thing I always think of is that still shot to the woman with the fa- with her face all pulled back, and I said, I don't want to see that movie. I said that as a kid, and I guess maybe now is the time. Rec 2 is awesome. I talked about it briefly on here, but it wasn't in wide release yet, so I didn't go into detail about it. But I do recommend it. I kind of liked it better than the first Rec, which I didn't really like that much, but that's a story for another time. I know, I know people are going to hit me with rocks, but uh, I saw the devil. I have not seen it. I saw the devil. But I know a lot of people from the various meetup groups that uh, I, I belong to here in the city went to see screenings of it when it was here at the art houses, and they all loved it. And I know it's on Netflix Instant Watch right now because it's in my queue, and I've heard nothing but raves about it. So I say, everybody, follow Hogan's advice. Call me. Let me know what you thought. And if you didn't like it, call him. Or better yet, just go to his house and pee on his porch. That's what I'd do. But that's how I show affection. And if I really love you, you get the flaming dog shit in the paper bag routine. But that's another call. That's a story for another day. Who else called? Hmm. Hey, Patrick. This is uh, Bayou Hunter from... Uh, oh, my God. Bayou Hunter. Down in Louisiana. Uh, wow. Hi, hi, hi. First of all, I have to apologize. I have many, many episodes behind right now. Um, no need. My wife has been listening to an audiobook, a group of audiobooks, and I have to keep up with her, so I've been, uh, I'm behind in everything, basically. But, okay, slacker. So I am on episode 30, and, um, well, basically, I just got out of a, uh, wake for an old friend of mine. He just oh, passed away, yeah. and I turned on, um, the podcast. When I got back in the car, and you calling yourself came on, and oh, dear. yes, I am even feel even worse now. So, oh, I, I it's terrible that things like that happen. I, I'm so sorry to hear that, and just let you know you you broke me down. I kept it um, kept it together throughout the week and throughout that. Uh, a friend of mine, he'd uh, he'd had some you know tough times, and he ended up uh, taking his own life. So, uh, uh, oh it, my it god, was a tough thing, but, oh, so I blame you uh. for that. But thank you for your podcast. I'm looking forward to the marathon I have to get a back up to date. You have a good day, man. Uh, how do I stop this? Did it record? <laughs> You know something, Bayou Hunter? That was a really sad call, but it left me laughing. Just because, you know, people have been listening for a while because Bayou hasn't called in a long time. <laughs> Mr. Bayou Hunter always seems to have trouble hanging up the phone. <laughs> so, the last 10 seconds of his of his calls are always, ah, how do I stop this thing? Ah, I can't turn this off. Bayou Hunter, just hang up the phone. I don't have one of those voicemails where you could, you know, play back or, you know, press one if you're happy. No, no, no. Just hang up. Or you know what? Don't hang up because every time you do that, it makes me so happy. I always forget it's coming. And it's a good thing. But I'm really sorry about your friend. That's a terrible story to have. And I I was so happy to hear from you, though, because I don't know what's going on today. I'm hearing from all these people who haven't called in a really long time. You and Hogan and Joe from Cincy. And it's making me happy. It's like all home week. I just wish there was better news. Don't wait for sad news to come back to me, Mr. Biohunter. Yeah, the world's a sucky place a lot of times, and I I don't know what to say, quite honestly. I'm sad about your friend. I, I don't know whether that was bad timing or good timing that you heard that. Um, 
infamous call to myself uh, in episode 30. But um, I'm going to say it's a good thing because at least you got it all out. And that is the healthiest thing you could have possibly done. And I helped. And don't worry about being behind. I'm not going anywhere. Plenty of time to catch up. And uh, it's just good to know you're still out there and still listening because I missed you, baby. Thanks for calling in. I tell your wife to hurry up with the damn audiobook. You've got better things to do. Like me. I mean, like my podcast. That didn't come out right. I'm awkward. And bye. Agnes, it's me, Barry. <laughs> Let me lick it. Oh, my. Let me lick the pretty pink cup. Hey, Patrick, this is Clevo Sam. <laughs> I figured it's about Hi, time Sam. I actually call into a podcast, and not just Lord. any podcast, but Screaming Queen's podcast. I just got back from seeing Black Christmas on the big screen here in Cleveland, and I thought I'd let you know how it was. It was a lot of fun. Good. Uh, I think the home viewing experience for it is a bit better, though, because Mm -hmm. the audience, you know, in a theater, everyone's kind of laughing at stuff. When you're at home, it's quiet. Houses are creaking, adds mm-hmm. to the atmosphere. But when I was watching it, I um, was remembering your review and listening to the different sounds and how they interplayed with each other uh-huh. and really finding it very, very effective. That's what uh, I'm talking about, Hogan. Like I said, it was a great time. Um, glad I got to see it. We don't usually have things like that here in Cleveland. You guys up in New York get all the fun stuff. Um, it was in a little art house theater in, in one of our local colleges, and mm-hmm. art house theater chairs are not that comfortable. You have but to suffer for your art, Sam. A lot of fun, and figured you'd like to hear about it because I know you do. love the movie. So take care. Bye. Okay, Sam, thank you for calling in. What the hell is in the water today? First, I get all these people coming out of the woodwork calling me out of the blue after months. And then I got not one but two creepy-ass calls. I'm not complaining. I love it. Um, Sam, I'm so glad you enjoyed um, Black Christmas. Oh, but you know what? I forgot to mention, you know, I, I talk to Sam all the time. I met him at uh, Harham Weekend. He's the one who made me a tiara, which it just occurred to me I never posted a picture of on the webpage. So, I'm an asshole. Expect that at this show. And, uh, oh, yeah, and don't think I didn't notice that you're a first-time caller! Yay! And we talk all the time on the Xbox and everything, like I said. And Sam told me a few weeks ago that he was going to see this on the big screen. He left me a voice message, and uh, apparently I didn't notice that. You know, I left him a voice message, but didn't notice that my mic wasn't plugged in and hasn't been plugged in in weeks, so I've been leaving messages that are just blank, and I'm an a-hole. And then I've just been wrapped up in shit. So when I'm on the Xbox, I'm blowing off steam. So I haven't been very social. So I apologize about that, Sam. Um, yeah, Black Christmas, as I said, it's a delicate little film. And I, I saw it on the big screen once. But it was a respectful art house crowd. It wasn't a lot. I mean, they were laughing in the right spots. And dead silent in the other spots. They needed to be quiet. But I uh, could see how that could tip the scales. But I'm glad you noticed my, my, my notes on ambient sound. Sam Gold Star. Betty and Derwood give it to Sam. No, give the star to Sam. It's Sam's gold star. You can hang it on your fridge next to that cockadoodie you made out of pasta back in vacation Bible school. Class, everyone else, follow Sam's example. Listen to everything I tell you. I make movies better. Like queens do, Hogan. 
See, this is living proof. God damn it. And she, this is probably going to be nothing to you, Sam, but you just keep saying, you know, we don't have things like that in Cleveland. And all of a sudden, in my head, you turn into Marianne Singleton from Tales of the City. Because that's the other thing I've based my, based my life on. It's been the Brady Bunch, the Bad Seed, Night of the Comet, Tales of the City, and Two Poles, One Hole. <laughs> if you're not familiar, it's all about, uh, the first book anyway, is about um, San Francisco in the 70s. And uh, this girl, Marianne Singleton, moves to San Francisco out of the blue from Cleveland you know, during the height of the sexual revolution and the drugs, and she's walking around all the time going, oh, gosh, things like this don't happen in Cleveland. So you're my little Marianne, Sam. It's a good thing. That's a big queen recommend. Go check out, all of you, damn it, the, the PBS miniseries of the original Tales of the City books. They're amazing. It's hilarious. Incredible. It's available on DVD with Olympia Dukakis and all these great people. And fuck the Showtime sequels. They all suck. Sure, they have... Well, they just suck, is what I'm saying. I'm way off on a tangent, so I'm going to stop talking. Thank you, Sam. Snuggles. Hey, Patrick. This is uh, Bayou Hunter down in Louisiana. Again? I am finally up to date, so I wanted to call Yay! and uh, give some impressions and some other stuff. So, um, first of all, I hope everything's uh, on the up in the up direction with your family and all. I hope you're feeling mm. better, too. Two, uh, I watched Black Death uh, with uh, Boromir from Lord of the Rings. Yes. And thank you. That was a, quite a good movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, that wasn't me. That was Rombard. I think it may have been a caller suggestion, but one of the two. But it was quite good. Thank you. I, I liked how it um, started off with a very real feel, but um, kind of had a edged into the supernatural, but then uh, the rest happened. Thank you for spoiling and, Ooh. uh, yeah, nice so it was job. quite good. Thank you. Uh, as for that, I will talk to you later. Y'all have a good one. Bye-bye. Oh, damn it. He was able to hang up the phone this time. Make a liar out of me, Bayou. Uh, yeah, that wasn't me. That was Zombart. I mean, yeah, it was totally me. It was totally my suggestion. You are so welcome. Just, just keep showering accolades upon me. I'm glad you joined the movie. I actually haven't seen it yet. It's on my, I mean, you... Yes. No, I haven't seen it. It's on my Netflix queue. I will bump it up. Bump it up. Bump it up, baby. Bump it up. Bump it. Wow. Uh, you know what? Let's do a letter. An email. Because whatever I was just doing has got to stop. Okay, so we have one email this week. Actually two, but it counts as one. And it's from uh, Toppy over at the Smellcast. And uh, if you're not listening to the Smellcast, you really should give it a try. Because you want to talk about eclectic? This man, this queen is eclectic in a good way. I like it. He's crazier than I am. Anyway, he says, Hi, Patrick. Hi, Toppy. Well, from the Better Late Than Never department, you know, I hadn't wanted to write this way back when it originally released, but duh, I forgot. More recently, I re-listened to the episode, and this time I got it right on my computer to write you. R.E., your Scream Queen's Lifetime Achievement Award winner, Veronica Cartwright! Yay! There's lots of exclamation points. There's lots of, exc- there's lots of exclamation points, so I decided to go with Kermit the Frog on it. It's my own dramatic interpretation. Deal with it, Toppy. Anyway, let's continue. First, thank you for correcting my misconception for all these long years for mistaking Veronica for her sister Angela. I thought that the little girl from Lost in Space went on to do some of my favorite movies, including The Birds. Thank you for clearing this matter up. You know what? You know how many people make this mistake? I heard, I think it was Nine Little Podcast, going on and on and on when they covered, 
I think it was the birds. Yeah, they did the birds. And they were like, oh, she was in Lost in Space and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, she was not. That was Angela. Nobody cares about Angela anymore. Veronica is the one we're talking about. She's the goddess. Ahem, back to Toppy. He says, first, let me say, Veronica is a wonderful choice. I know. Your little award show reminded me of all her great movies that I had mostly forgotten she was in. The Birds, by the way, is one of my all-time fave movies. But, you know, I had forgotten she was in The Invasion of the Body Snatchers and that she freaked out like she did in that memorable last scene. And I totally forgot about her part in The Witches of Eastwick. Really? That's the best part of the movie. Anyway, she also had a memorable stint on the X-Files TV show. I didn't know that. Thank you. Um, you picked the absolute best clips of Veronica in all those movies. Great work. But most important, what your movie sound clips proved beyond a shadow of a doubt is just what a superb screamer Miss Cartwright is. I loved all your selections and truly enjoyed remembering all her ro roles via your clips. Har! I don't know what that means. H-A-R-R-R, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Har! This is a pirate. Hopefully not a pirate vagina, because that's... Are you going to explode on me, Toppy? Ooh, uh, that just got really dirty, in a way. Anyway, he says, Arr! The Karen Allen, Jessica Harper, Brooke Adams bit was hilarious. I'm sorry, I can't tell them apart. And thank you for getting it, because I know most of these kids are like, Who? Who are these other two? Thank you. Thank you, old... Uh, thank you, fellow old man. And he says, Anyway, I just want to let you know how much I especially appreciated episode 27 of The Scream Queens. Thanks for all your enthusiasm and energy on every episode of The Scream Queens. From Toppy Smelly. And in his second email, which was a P.S. and a P.P.S., he says, P.S., I loved your impression of Veronica. They were spot on. You mean, <laughs> the birds, <laughs> they covered her. Ah! She's easy to imitate. And, and finally, P.P.S., I love your grandmother. Well, Toppy, that makes one of us. Thank you for writing in, Toppy. I appreciate it. It reminds me how awesome Veronica Cartwright is. And I know that it's nice to know some other people out there also appreciate her. And you know what? I just saw her on TMC. They were running the Children's Hour, um, which stars uh, Audrey Hepburn and Shirley MacLaine, which I've never seen. But I knew that it involved like uh, uh, gay rumors, lesbian rumors, I should say, at, at an exclusive girls' boarding school, uh, devastating the lives of the teachers there. And it was very controversial from the time. And I also knew it was controversial because they skirted around the whole lesbian issue in its own way. They just danced around it. So I was just watching it for part of Gay History Month. And lo and behold, who's there in this class but Veronica Cartwright? I'm like, yay, this is great. Well, I guess she won't be screaming or crying or in this one. Wrong. Guess who winds up getting bullied by the evil girl who starts all the rumors? That's right, Veronica Cartwright. She's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steal the bracelet. I was going to give it back. There's my girl. She's got it and everything. Okay, thank you for writing, Toppy. Let's take some more calls because we got lots of them. And before I forget, you can find links to uh, Toppy and the Smellcast in the Friends section on the webpage, www.screamqueens.com. Hi, Patrick. How are you, darling? Um, I hope you get to go see Play Dead again before it yes. closes. Mr. Teller said on Twitter a couple weeks ago that it was closing, I think, this month. Oh, no. So I really hope you get to go see it again before it closes, because I know you had a good time there. Yes, I did. Sounded I did. like Sleep No More. Sounded like you had a good time with that, except for the 
Czechoslovakian Fuck them. and getting separated from Mr. Brad, but at least there were drinks. That was okay. There were cocktails. Let's count our blessings. There. Yay! Um, what else is going on? There's not a whole lot else going on. I ordered the Muppet Monster Muppet, goddess forbid, Puppet Monster Massacre Excellent. on DVD. I am awaiting its arrival with bated breath. Did you hear that? That was me bating my breath. Oh, get it? Ha! <laughs> I thought I lost you. I know you. you do, darling. I know you do. I was explaining for people like Zombart. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you thought that I attacked you? Really, Zombart? Really? I didn't attack you. Sweetie, when I attack you, you'll know it. Trust me. <gasps> anyway. So, what else was I going to say? I don't know. Oh, yes. I am looking forward to the Puppet Monster Massacre. I'm yes. I'm going to call in and let you know what I think of it when I get it. Please do. And uh, there's really not a whole lot else going on right now. Um, everybody and their dog is going crazy over the Harry Potter, last Harry Potter movie, last Harry Potter movie, yeah. oh, let's yeah. cry, oh, it's sad. You know, the only thing that I find sad about the whole thing is that, you know, they killed off Severus Snape. Oh, so damn it! I haven't seen it yet! God damn you! It was Ellen fucking Rickman. Oh my God, I love Ellen Rickman. Ah. No, it'll never happen, it'll be okay. Um... Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not Tracy Ullman, and he's not falling through my ceiling. Damn the luck. Anyway, darling, have a great, wonderful day, and uh, I much was. love to you from the Badger Angel. Badger Angel, Dora Onyx on Twitter, although I may change it to Badger Onyx because you get you said that in the last show, and that sounded really neat. I may change that. Anyway, later days, y'all. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Okay, so basically... You're going to become like our John Cougar Mellencamp. Change your name every couple of years. No, no. First I'm Badger Angel. Now I'm Badger Onyx. Now I'm Onyx Badger Angel. Damn you! Some of us haven't seen the Harry Potter movie yet or happen to read the last book. So thank you so much for ruining it. This is a special place in hell for people like you. Sitting next to Zombart. Anyway... Don't be picking on Zombart too hard, because that's my job. And since he didn't call in this week, let's pick on him. Okay, everybody settle down. Now, you know how we came to see the Ryan case a couple of weeks ago? What I didn't tell you was, when it comes time for everybody to make their accusations, you know, everyone goes out into groups, and when it comes back, they get to ask a couple more questions to us, this big, you know, law and order type scene with us screaming at each other, and then all the team captains get to stand up and give their you know, what they think the solution is, who they think the murderer or murderers is are. And so who stands up from his group? Zombart. And he starts talking. He's like, well, I think that um, the killer in a fit of um, rage went, you know, Across the... He talked for like 17 minutes. And, you know, we try not... I mean, it was really funny because, you know, we, we rent this church out. The, the basement of this church for that particular portion of the show. So we have to be out at a certain time. 
or we get charged extra. And he's talking and talking and talking. And the director is in the back of the house, jumping up and down, doing the hurry up sign, being like, shut up, shut up. He's running back and forth because he's seeing money flying out of his ass. Although that would be cool. Well, I wouldn't pick it up, but that's not the point right now. But, you know, the guy playing the detective is like, Stopping his fault. The hangman's coming, boy. And he's just, um, uh, um, uh. But that's our Zombart. Oh, and Play Dead. I, I would like to see it again. I'm sorry it's closing, but they always have free tickets up at the Actors Equity office, so I might go and grab some at some point. Because it was cool. Maybe I'll find somebody cool who hasn't seen it. And um, thanks for calling. Squoozed the in at the last minute. Squoozed? I just made up a word. Write it down, everybody. Squoozed. Get your squoos on. That sounds like it's... it's It sounds like genitals. Honey, your squoos is hanging out. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, god damn it. You know what? I think we've derailed. Yeah, I think it is definitely time for me to shut my squooge and go home. Even though I am home. But that's not the point right now. The show is over is what I'm saying. Well, almost over. So I mentioned earlier, on July 29th, it will be the one-year anniversary of Scream Queens! And had I planned this out better, I would have had a special anniversary episode, but it, it just didn't happen. There's just so much other crap on my mind, and, well, it's just got to be a quiet little celebration. You know what you can do to make this event that much more special for me, since it's all about me? If you could head on over to the iTunes store and leave a review of the show, I would be so happy. I'm still trying to get the word out, and the more attention the show gets on iTunes, hopefully, maybe I'll get advertised a little bit more, and that kind of stuff. I want the world to know what you think. Yeah, so please, just a review would be wonderful. That would make me a happy man. When I started doing this, I never, ever, ever thought I would enjoy it as much as I do. I knew it was going to be fun, but it's a fuckload of work, to be perfectly honest. I'm doing this by myself. Editing goes on forever. Just the voicemail alone takes me, you know, six hours to edit. It's not all Zombart's fault, but I've been getting so much gratification out of it. It's astounding, and it's thanks to you guys. You know, all of you, knowing that you're out there listening, and just the feedback that I get, not just for the show, but online, and, you know, tough times like this, it means so much. And even when great things happen, to have all these people popping out of the woodwork that, you know, I, I don't know directly, it makes me feel good to know that I'm reaching you guys out there, and, you know, you're part of my lives now, and I'm part of yours, and it's, it, it just feels nice. And the year has gone quickly. I can't believe I've been doing it this long already. I ain't even scratched the surface yet, kiddies. On a personal empowerment note, just knowing I've been getting the show out to you and the way you've been responding and the way you have, I feel like I can do anything. I've got all these other projects in my head related to this and not related to this that I feel like I can tackle now. I'm thinking of writing a book. Me. Writing a book. Maybe not necessarily about horror movies, but... There's been such a response to, like, my family stories and stuff that I think that there's little short stories that to be happening there, you know, David Sedaris style. But we'll see about that. But it's thanks to you. So I thank all of you for taking this little trip with me and continuing to stay with me, and I hope you stay with me. Because, um, like I said, we've only just begun to podcast. Yeah, I'm sure me sitting in the carpenters is just really going to be scoring me a whole lot of new fans, but you never know with you queens. Hey, I had a contest last week. You know, I told you, I, I said that the first person to let me know what the new swear word that I introduced on the website was and to whom it was referring was going to win a very special prize. And we had a winner. Somebody Twittered it to me. And I said, hey, you're the winner. Send me your information and I'll get your special prize to you. And they never sent the information. So either this person is very generous or they have no idea what an incredible prize that they're passing up. 
on. So I'm going to put the contest out there again, but this time a little different. The first person who can call me this time, fuck Twitter, fuck writing. I want to hear somebody say it out loud. I want to hear somebody say, blank is a blank. The person to which the swear word refers is a blank. I want to hear as many people say it as possible. And the first person who calls in will get that very special prize. That other person just lets slide through their fingers. You still get a chance to snatch it back. <laughs> I said snatch. Anyway, since we're talking about calling in, if you want to be like all these really cool people who have called in and, and leave your message that's going to win you this incredible prize, you can give me a call at 347-767-3509. You can write me at crew at screamqueens.com, and that's queens with a Z. You can like me on Facebook, you can follow me on Twitter, and you can just shake your groove thing, shake your groove thing, yeah, yeah. So until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place, and remember, as my grandmama used to say, You know, boy, after all is said and done, I love you. You're like the slutty granddaughter I never had. Bye! Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! <laughs>